This podcast is scheduled for 10 questions. Fighting out of New York. Standing at 5 feet 11 inches tall. And wearing the red, white, and blue trunks. Presenting Kyle Brandt. All right. Thank you, Bruce. Welcome to 10 Questions. We are back. We are thrilled. We are excited. You know how this works. We don't have guests on the show. We have contestants. Each contestant gets 10 questions somehow related to their life. If they get the question right, they get a point. If they get the question wrong, they get nothing. We don't know how today's contestant is going to do, but we know he's fascinating. A few ground rules before we bring him in here. If the contestant gets the gets the question right, they are going to hear a delightful sound. It's going to sound a lot like this. Okay, little game show, little rock. However, should today's contestant get the question wrong, he or she is going to have to hear this. Last bit of business before he or she comes in here. I want to give some context to this contestant. Some of the prior contestants have come on and how they've done with their score out of 10. Have a listen to some of our old friends we've made here on 10 Questions. Yo, 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 McConaughey here. I just got my 7 out of 10. Hi, I'm Paul Rudd, and I got a 7 out of 10. I'm Joel McHale, and I got an 8 out of 10 because I have not seen the movie Stuck on You. I'm Aaron Rodgers, and I got 6 out of 10. Let's see how we do today. Start the intro sequence. Today's contestant, here's what you need to know about him. As a little kid, he grew up riding horses in Argentina. He used to have a hilarious practice when asked on a red carpet who he's wearing. He would say the names of his favorite soccer players and the paparazzi would just write them down, not knowing. I love that. At least I heard he did that. And uh, once in New Zealand, he allegedly skinned, cooked, and ate his own roadkill. Now that's my kind of guy. He also has a movie called Falling which opens February 5th on digital and on demand. I watched it last night. It took my breath away. We are going to talk all about it. Please welcome to 10 Questions, Mr. Vigo Mortensen. Hello, Vigo. How are you? How are you, man? I'm good. Holding up. Vigo, you're holding up. Do you know what you're in for with this? This is quite an experience. I I, I was watching you during the intro sequence. There's nodding. There's smiling. How are you feeling right now? Uh, Matthew McConaughey's 7 out of 10 is probably going to be very difficult to top, I'm sure. I don't know. If I get a couple right, I'll be happy. You'll definitely get a couple right because, Vigo, these questions, I promise you, you might hear some of them, they might sound very strange. I promise you they have something to do with your life and your career, of which I've celebrated. I've watched you for years. I love the movie Falling. I watched it with my wife last night, and I immediately called my sisters. My sisters and I are children of divorce. And there were some of those scenes in this movie that you wrote, directed, starred in, and produced that we lived. And I know a lot of people out there lived. We're going to talk about the movie. How proud are you are, are, are you of this movie? I'm really glad. It was, I mean, it was as difficult to make it as I thought it would be, but it was even more, you know, rewarding and enjoyable in terms of like a team of people getting together to, to tell a story than I had dreamed it might be. It was great. I, I can't wait to do it again. And I can't wait to talk about it more. Before we do, let's get into this. Now, Vigo, as we go into the 10 questions, I want you to know, should there be a question for which you have no clue? You just have a total blank. You do have one lifeline. Your lifeline is called Ask a Millennial. We have a real breathing 26-year-old millennial standing by for which if you don't have any clue, say, let's ask the millennial. We'll bring him in and maybe he can help you. Sound good? Yes. Okay, here we go. (laughs) 10 questions with a laughing Vigo Mortensen. I know you've done a lot of press. This is going to be a little different, my friend. Let's light this candle. Question number one for Vigo. Your category for question one is sports. Vigo, what sport am I describing when I say the goon with great flow and missing chiclets ripped a clapper and lit the lamp? Ice hockey. He says ice hockey, and he says it rather quickly. My friends, is he right? Yeah! Here you go. You're right. You didn't hesitate. One out of one. I want to ask you about ice hockey because I know you're a fan. And, um, you know, you're so incredible on a horse, and you've done so much fight choreography over the years in your career. Growing up, did you play sports? Uh, I played football, soccer. And, yeah. That's that was the sport I grew up as a little kid playing. And then later I was 
I like to run and swim. You were never in um, Little League. You never put on shoulder pads and played American football, none of that stuff. Even I know you got New York roots. Did you not want to be Reggie Jackson at some point? Well, when I, I, I grew up not in the United States. I grew up in South America until I was 11, and then we moved to the United States. And I did play, you know, baseball like you do in, in school and even football, American football. But, uh, yeah, I was, I mean, I became instantly, the, the, the Montreal Canadiens replaced my Argentine soccer team. You know, when I moved there, it was 1970s, a long time ago, and there wasn't internet and iPhones, so I kind of lost touch. And then I saw ice hockey for the first time on TV the first time, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. That's like soccer, but faster and with sticks, and people get to punch each other. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> and so... so the Canadians were the team that I could see the most and listen to. And so that's what I got into. And in school, uh, in, in junior high and high school, I ended up swimming. I liked to swim. So I was on the swim team. That, that's what I did competitively. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I, I mean, I, I played know. pond hockey, you know, played it like, but just not official. Like, yeah. When you were playing that pond hockey, did you ever get to be like the Habs and drop the gloves and just start throwing haymakers? uh there wasn't that much fighting some discussions but nothing nothing that bad (laughs) well this is a sport in and of itself here we do on 10 questions and in you went in the net for your first question you got one out of one that's the hardest one to get we're going to go on to question two now your category of question two we went from sports let's see how you react to this one 80s television is your category i didn't have a tv in the 80s I know a little bit about your history with TV, but you also, you didn't have one, but you were on it. So let's see if that can make it. If you were to own one, you'd be on it. Your question, in 1984, what TV pilot featured Phil Collins in the air tonight? Miami Vice? He says Miami Vice with a question. Could it have been Miami Vice, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, yeah. We're two for two. (laughs) Vigo palpably surprised. Okay, so this is interesting. It's interesting that you don't know that for certain, even though you got it, because you were on Miami Vice. Right. Way back in the day, you were a guest star. Tell us about that. What do you remember about being on Miami Vice? Well, Miami Vice, I actually was given, I, I, I got cast in a, lead role, you know, guest starring role. Yeah. I went down there. It was just before Christmas one year. I don't remember what year in the eighties. And, um, I had this infection on my hand that I had an operation on this ganglion. It got infected and my arm got all swollen. And the day before I had to go to work, I ended up walking to the hospital because it was like really bad. And they said, it's a good thing you got here. We would have had to amputate your arm blood infection. I don't know what I stayed. I was for three days in the hospital and IVs and all this. And, you know, I came out and then I called the casting director and I said, I'm ready. This is no, no, no. It's been recast. We're already shooting. I'm like, Oh, okay. So I sadly went back to New York city and um, lost that job. But then a year later, uh, the casting director, Bonnie Timmerman was kind enough to give me a role in the opening scene and that was a scene where it was with Lou Diamond Phillips before he became, you know, well-known for, I don't know, La Bamba. La Bamba, sure. Yeah. And so we were two rookie cops who were sort of the younger version of the two main guys, right? Crockett and Tubbs. Right. And, um, and we were accompanying them on this bust. We had to go into an apartment where there was some criminal... And we're walking, the opening scene is we're walking down the street and we're throwing a football back and forth, you know, as we're walking. And the timing had to be the camera. We had to finish the dialogue and throwing the football at the end of the thing. And I kept, I was like a little, I was trying to save my lines well. And, and I kept, I, we, we would run out of space to do the, the scene. And then we had to do it a couple of times. And the third time, as we're walking back to our start marks, um, one of the veteran older actors, Don Johnson, uh, said, uh, Hey, this ain't Hamlet. And I being a wise ass from New York said, no kidding. And, uh, <laughs> oh, dude. now we got it. Okay. <laughs> but the so next how, day, how did Sonny Crockett take that? He didn't, he, 
he's smart. <laughs> and then it was like, better get it right this time. The next time we nailed it, I was right on, but I was, I was nervous, but I was like bluffing that I was not intimidated. I was. And then, and then we go in and do this bus and I get blown up and I'm dead. That's how there was a very brief appearance. You know what's crazy though, because it's 2021 now. It's all on the internet. I've seen the scene you're talking about. I watched it last night. You got a crazy hat. <laughs> you look cool as shit. You look cool, and I, there's the football and everything. I, it's funny and you I mentioned like that about Don Johnson. Hat on, I think. Yeah, it's almost like a plaid hat or something. Like somewhere that hat is. It, it looks really cool. It'll be in the Smithsonian someday. <laughs> you mentioned Don Johnson. In that at that time, like no one was cooler and hotter and no. sexier. Like he was everything. Yeah. You as this upcoming actor, did you look at him and be like, "I want to be like that someday," or maybe different? Because your career is obviously taking a different path. How did you look at him at that point in your career? Well, he was very successful, and he was, he was actually yeah. very nice. I mean, he did say that you know this ain't Hamlet to me, but he was teasing, and so I just gave it back to him. But. Uh, no, I was, it was a job. I was grateful. It helped me pay the rent that month. And um, that was about it. I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed talking to Lou Diamond Phillips. And then I saw him, you know, some like four or five years later. No, not even that. Uh, like two or three years later on the set of Young Guns Part 2. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So it was nice to see him again. But I didn't think much about it. I was just trying not to mess up and get through the day. Really. I had a day's work. You were, you were in young guns too. Yeah. I was, I was a cattleman's detective named Poe. You were Poe. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It was a good role. I had a beautiful horse. Yeah. And I had a, I had a rifle with a brass scope. That was really nice. I was working with Pat Garrett trying to catch Billy the kid. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And just Bon Jovi's just kicking ass on the soundtrack and it's Billy the Kid. <laughs> Gun Guns 2 was amazing back in the day. I got to go back and rewatch your parts. Yeah. That's cool. Vigo, you're two for two. We've covered a lot of stuff already. We're, you almost lost your arm and then you're throwing a football and you love the Habs and Don John. We're kicking ass ourselves right here. But let's go to question number three. There's always a point where the contestant gets a little comfortable and then he has to be humbled. Let's uh, find no. out. I'm let's not find out. No, we're going to. No, no. Come on. This, this ain't Hamlet, Mortensen. Let's figure out what we can do. This ain't Jeopardy. Question three. Your category is video games. You don't strike me as a big video game player, so maybe we'll find out. However, this is, this is something that a lot of people know. What iconic 80s Nintendo game featured hunting for waterfowl with a handheld pistol controller? It was a lot iconic video game from the 80s you would hunt for waterfowl with a pistol controller that you would shoot at the screen ring any bells uh, shall we ask a millennial okay that's interesting you bring that up we could this is uh, an 80s that's question their time though isn't it but sometimes those things come back and they're ironic now like they're they're vintage so would you like to ask the millennial do you want to save it for later well, you only get one, right? You only get one, my friend. Uh, wow. But if you got nothing, maybe you should. And I he mean, doesn't know anything about these questions. And really water yeah. came out? No. No, it's an electronic gun that you would shoot at the screen at a certain type of waterfowl that is connected to your life again. Remember, I'm going to reveal how. This is what's funny about this show. There's a, a thousand assholes right now screaming the answer at their phones as they're listening. Right? How do you not know this, Vigo? Come on. Because he was on the Miami Vice when this game came out. You weren't. You were six years old, smartass. All right. So, Vigo, either give me an answer for this video game about hunting waterfowl or we roll the dice and ask the millennial. Let's ask the millennial because I have no Let's idea. Let's ask the millennial. Bring him in the here. Only, the, right. only, the only video game I can remember is... One of the first ones, I guess. And I was, I was volunteering at the Lake Placid Olympics. And, wow. uh, and there was a, the one, it's called Centipede or whatever it's called. Sure, Centipede, yeah. Right. And that, I, I, I was pretty good at that. Um, that's the only one I've ever played. Ever. See, we got to get to the millennial. But Vigo, this is why you're so fascinating. You can bury the lead in your own anecdote that you were volunteering at the 1980 Lake Placid Olympics, which are iconic. Just to tell you, that's interesting <laughs> I in of itself. That game. You were at the Miracle Game? Yes, I was. Hold on a second. Millennial, leave the room. We're not ready for you yet. You were, okay, the United States beat the Soviet Union in 1980. I the Herb there. Brooks was the coach. Al Michaels, do you believe in miracles? Why, why were you there? How were you there? Tell us about that. 
Well, I used to go to college near there, St. Lawrence University, and I, <clears throat> I got a job translating for, not that they needed it because they speak good English, but the Danish team was coming, right? And I had to speak Danish. And then they canceled. I got there and they said, ah, oh, the Danish team's not coming. They only have a couple of guys and they don't have a chance in hell. We're not right. cross-country skiing or something. And, uh, and they said, how would you like to work with the Swedish team? I said, sure. And so then I got to meet. I made really good friends with someone who was from Finland and they had tickets. They went every night to watch hockey games. I said, you're kidding. Yes. Yeah. And so we would go and we'd go to the Finland house. Each country has their little sort of selling their wares. Like this is our tourist attraction. Totally. And in the Finland house, it was just wall to wall vodka bottles. And we'd go in there and we'd have a bunch of drinks and then we'd go to watch a game. And one night it was that game. And, uh, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. The atmosphere in there it was incredible. It was so great to be at that. I mean, it was just, you couldn't believe it was happening. It was one of those, it was a miracle. It was like these kids were doing it. They were going to be the best team in the world, really. Right. It it's was the ultimate, it's David and Goliath. The Russians could not be beat. The Soviets, it, even Herb Brooks, the coaches said, if we played them 10 times, they would win nine do you remember a point in the game where that you're thinking, wow, the U.S. might actually take this thing? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. I mean, but even after the first period, it was like they weren't cowed. They didn't look like they were scared. That mm -hmm. already got my attention. I was like, this could be, this is not going to be like a, you know, they're not going to walk away with this game no matter what. This is going to be tough for the Russians for the Soviets. And, uh, and it was, it just became better and better and better. And I mean, I don't even remember the rest of the night. It's <laughs> <laughs> that finished vodka brother. <laughs> oh my gosh. But this is why Vigo's the best. We're talking about this because he was talking about the video game centipede that he was playing. Cause we asked him about one where you go hunting, bring the millennial back in here. Yeah, please. This is a 26 year old white heterosexual male named Richie. He lives in Los Angeles. Richie say hello to Vigo Mortensen. How you doing, Vigo? Hey, Rich. All right. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Vigo's a very here. polite man. He needs a little bit of help. I'm going to again pose the question, and then Vigo and Richie, you work your magic between the two. You can see if you can answer it. What 80s iconic Nintendo game featured hunting for waterfowl with a handheld pistol controller? Go ahead, guys. Does Duck Hunter sound right? Does that Say it again. Duck Hunter? Duck Hunter. Vigo, does that ring any bells for you? But I'm, I, I, that's all I, I, that, that's all I, I got. You guys don't even need the full 30 seconds. Vigo's going to defer to Richie. Is the answer Duck Hunter? Richie. I Richie. got you. Richie, I, I owe you Vigo, a bottle of, bottle of Finlandia. I don't know. Are you a, do you drink alcohol? Of I'm course. Not, you know, it was my pleasure to help you here. Oh, great. All yes. right. Well, uh, hopefully I can get your contact and I'll make sure you get a nice cold uh, bottle of Finlandia vodka. Wow. What a Amazing. gentleman. Thank you, Richie. Richie is taking the liquor from his parents' liquor cabinet still. And I want you to know the scoring is, is slightly generous. We gave you Duck Hunter. It's technically Duck Hunt, but we're going to leave it to it. And here's why I asked you the question. Duck. You're like, why the hell are you asking me this? There's a whole sequence in your movie Falling having to do with a duck. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching like so much of this movie is. Vigo, I mean it when I, when I say this. It ripped my heart out, this movie. And from the very first scene, there's a line of dialogue that you wrote where a father talks to his infant son and says something kind of tragic. And I just said, buckle up. This is going to be a ride. <laughs> I don't know if you could write and direct those scenes without having lived through them in some way. Where did this material come from? Uh, it's mostly fictional, but there are pieces of conversation and a few events <clears throat> that are taken from my real memories, subjective memories, of course, but, uh, and the dementia aspect that's dealt with in the story, that's something that my, both my parents had and stepdad, grandparents, been a lot of it in our family. For all I know, I have it right now and I'm not even aware of the fact, but, uh, um, I shouldn't make light of that. It's not, it's a serious thing, but you also have to make light of things sometimes. Sure. Um, one of the things that is true, pretty close to what really happened um, in the story, one of the only things, is the duck story. 
Um, that really did happen to me. When I was four, my dad uh, uh, took me with him duck hunting, and, and I don't know why. The sun was going down. He thought, ah, oh, one last shot, whatever. He heard some ducks coming. It's dark almost. You want to try? And I said, sure. Just like in the story, lucky shot, got the duck, refused to let go of it. My mom was horrified, and I wanted to take a bath with it, sleep with it, all that, all that, all that you see in the movie that day. It was a pet. Yeah. Yeah. It was a new friend. Yeah. It's, it's no, sad, it's, it but it's sort dead. of endearing. Yeah. It was dead. And then you wake up and she's plucking it and cooking it. I mean, that's got to mess with you a little bit. You know, I think in so many movies that they've done that caring for babies and parenthood and raising children, there's not a lot about caring for the elderly which is an unbelievably stressful thing that all of us will go through eventually. There's a scene at the beginning of the film on an airplane with Lance Henriksen, who's unbelievable in this movie. And there's other scenes just where he, he, you need to take care of him. Was that autobiographical? Those scenes seem so realistic. And I know so many people could relate to them when they see this movie. Uh, The plane scene, now that you mentioned some aspects of it were, you know, the last, one of the last, trips with my dad and he was just barely able to do it was a long flight mm-hmm. and he seemed you know he was tired when he got on the plane I thought good he'll sleep through the night and he's not someone he didn't he was an athlete always his whole life you know and he wasn't someone who drank alcohol really he might just have a glass of wine to toast you on a special occasion but that's it he gets on the plane and the first thing he does is he starts asking for wine and drinks, you know, and he was, as often happens with maybe men and women, but especially with men, when they get dementia, sometimes their inhibitions are gone and they're pretty touchy feely with women, younger women, it doesn't matter. Sure. And so he just as an excuse to constantly try to pick up the, 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 you know, the, um, flight attendants, female flight attendants, he kept ordering drinks and downing them. And I'm like, I thought, okay, well, whatever. He'll have a couple of these and he'll pass out. He's not used to drinking. And then we right. can all sleep on this flight. Yeah. No, he did the whole, the whole flight. And he was unruly and getting up. So there was a little element of that. <laughs> it's a real unique kind of stress, isn't it? It's your, it's your parent and you, you want to, they're kind of almost like a child at that point. And uh, you don't want to overstep. And these people have a lot of pride. You want to be told independence and sure. Yes. Yeah. There's so many scenes like that in this movie that, if if you're close with your parents, if you're not, certainly if you've been through divorce, this is going to really, really move you. And you know what, Vigo? I couldn't help but noticing while watching the movie, at no point do any of the characters show superpowers. Uh, there's no green screen. Uh, you don't have claws that come out of your hand. There's not a single lightsaber. It's a real film with real characters, and I love that. Thank you. Everybody see Falling open February 5th on digital and on demand. We have to move on. We got to get clicking here, Vigo, because you're doing really, really well. We're going to question four. This is a fun category called finish your line. Vigo, do you happen to retain a lot of dialogue from movies that you do? Do you remember the lines? Some of them. Some of them. Okay, let's find out. We've had uh, Tim Robbins remembered a line from Shawshank. McConaughey remembered from Dazed and Confused. Paul Rudd remembered from Clueless. We found this movie you did long time ago. I don't know if you remember it. This art house movie... You play a uh, character, his name is Aragorn, I think, and uh, he's some kind of king. I don't know if many people have seen the movie, but apparently in the third installment of it, it must have been successful, you're riding a horse and people are pissed off in front of a mountain and you ride in front of an army. We're going to play a clip from your dialogue, Vigo, and as the clip stops, if you can finish the line, you get the point. Vigo Mortensen, finish this line. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day, we fight. Play it! We got it! We got it! But it is this day we fight oh it came right out you were on the horse what was it like to rehear that it was great i remember that day it was 
that horse has, uh, was, um, was like a equestrian horse. He wasn't trained to like stand or anything, but I decided to try to get him to do that. And I remember the wranglers, the horse people were not, yeah. they were worried about that. But it was, it was a, yeah. I mean, like most of the things Peter Jackson did were, it was surprising just to watch him constantly figuring out creative ways to deal with obstacles, inventing new shots. It was like a huge film school. It was, it was cool. It was really It's beautiful. I know that the book you're talking about too, it's, it's, it's almost like it was done digitally. It's so perfect. And so it looks so heroic. <laughs> yeah, and of course, now you tell me you went them. rogue. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, was beautiful. Great. It was fun. Vigo, uh, I know you've talked about this before. Indulge me with the full origin story of your entry into the Lord of the Rings world. There was another actor playing Aragorn who wasn't working out. They needed you quickly. What happened from that point? Well, the, the other actor is a really fine actor, and he's gone on to do lots of stuff. He's a really good actor, Stuart Townsend. Yeah. Irish actor. And it was just a, a casting choice. I didn't see him. He was gone when I got there, but he was too young. It was a bad casting idea because he was the same age as the actors playing the hobbits and stuff. And Aragorn needed to be a little older. So it was, mm-hmm. I think that was really the only issue there. I felt uncomfortable to be honest. I hadn't had that experience of, you know, taking the place of another actor. Um, but I didn't worry about it too long because I was, you know, nervous about fitting in. The other people had been there for weeks, months sometimes, and they'd been training and doing lots of stuff. I hadn't even read that book. You know, I'm on the plane going, uh, and it was like this thing. <laughs> and, but as I started to read some things early on, I realized, oh, it's not too different from some of the things I had been, you know, things that had been read to me as a kid, things, stories I liked as a kid, you know, Viking stories, sagas, even yeah. Celtic mythology and all that. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm not on completely unknown ground here. Um, and then I got there and was just thrown into it. Basically the first scene, fortunately I didn't have dialogue, so I could sort of work on that a lot. It was the first thing was the thing with the sword, which I enjoyed. It was fighting the ring race. Um, yeah. And weather top, right? And weather top. Yeah. That was, that was, uh, I liked that. That was a, that was a good way to start to get the physicality of the character first. So, you know, Carl Urban, one of your co-stars has this great quote that when he showed up, for his first moment on set, it, it was Helm's Deep. And he walks in, he's like, you know, there's four or 500 orcs and costume and there's fire and there's rain. And his quote is, it took all of my energy to not lose my shit. So <laughs> you, you get the call to come in last second. They take you to weather. T- you, got a, you got a sword. You got a goddamn torch. There's wraiths. There's, how did you not lose your shit? Well, I'd, I'd gotten to practice for those two days with the sword people. They said, don't worry about the dialogue right now. Just learn how to do that. And I said, okay. So, so the first encounter was I was really jet lagged. It was the day after arriving that morning. They picked me up, drove me out to this military base outside Wellington, this capital. And um, they said, you're going to meet Bob Anderson, the sword master. And you're going to practice on things you have to do to, day after tomorrow. And I said, okay. And I walked in this room and there was this elderly, he was like 70 at that point, Bob Anderson. He was a guy who used to do fights with Errol Flynn. He'd been in the Olympics for fencing. He was like a legend. He also was Darth Vader, the, the fight, the original fight. So badass. And um, so he was a great swordsman. And he had this, all these Kiwi, these New Zealand um, stuntmen. And they were all like, like vibrating. They're all like worked up. They'd been fighting and stuff. And they said, meet, uh, this is going to be Aragorn. And they all didn't look impressed. And, and uh, or Strider, this is your sword. Uh, go stand down at the other end. This is a gym. And, and then he lined all these guys up. And there was like Maori guys, just a mixture, just big guy. It looked like a, two rugby teams assembled together. Sure. And they all had like weapons, axes, and things with hooks and things sticking out of them and spikes and and they all started making all this roaring sound. I'm just standing there with like sweatpants on and a t-shirt, with a sword. And he said, okay. And, I, and I'm thinking, what should I do? He said, you just stand there. And, um, and he said, now. And they all came running at me, all of them. And I just basically went like that, you know? <laughs> 
And then they went past me and slammed into the wall and like, you know, swords and things. And then he said, good. That's a start. You didn't run. <laughs> you know, like I didn't run away. So that's a start. So now we'll show you what to do in that situation. And that's what we started doing. But it was a oh test just to see if I would completely lose my shit and, and run out of the room when these guys ran at me. But I just sort of got in the defensive position. I didn't know what was going to happen. That was my initiation. And then we worked really hard and it was fun. And I, and I asked them, I really started to enjoy it. The second day I said, can I take my practice sword with me? Cause I have to remember these moves you're showing me for tomorrow's work. He said, sure, no problem. And then I kept it. And we kept doing that. We did more rehearsals as, as the weeks went by for other fights. And uh, one day I was, uh, after a rehearsal, I was, it was a Sunday and I was in an industrial area where we'd been practicing in this warehouse with all these guys. And now I felt really comfortable, but I was still, sure. so I was walking down the street and I had a real sword now, not just the practice aluminum one. Cause they said, I'll trust you. I want to get used to the weight of the real one. Okay. Okay. And uh, so I'm walking down the street, half in costume, like sweatpants, but with Aragorn's boots and, you know, and I'm walking and doing and imagining I'm fighting all these guys walking down the street. And all of a sudden these cops pull up whoop, whoop, and apparently people had complained that there's some lunatic that's, you know, <laughs> and I promised them that I would take it. I wouldn't take it out of my house. And I promise. And I need to keep it. It's for the movie. They had no idea. The movies hadn't come out yet. We just started shooting. So. Anyway, I loved being there. It was a beautiful country. That's, and you said to the, the police, you said, officer, I know I'm walking down the street with a sword, but you got to understand 20 years ago, I was tossing a football with Don Johnson and he made fun of me and I have to get this scene right. And they saw that. That's incredible. Wow. I can't believe what started, what ended with Aragorn storming the black gate of Mordor started with Vigo cowering in his sweatpants as the orcs went by him. That's very humble beginnings. Very. Yeah. He put me wow. in my place right away. That's incredible. Vigo, we're moving on. You have not missed a question yet. This is crazy. You're, you're absolutely dunking on us. Question number five we go to. Your category is strip malls. What American chain of domestic retail stores contains the word beyond in its title? Beyond. Bed, Bath & Beyond. King Aragorn says Bed, Bath & Beyond. Is he five for five? Yes! It's unbelievable! All right, we have a real threat. No one's ever gone 10 for 10. Now, why the hell would I waste Vigo's time asking about Bed, Bath & Beyond? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because bath, uh, there is a bath house. And once in a bathhouse setting of a film, you did what I think is my favorite fight scene ever put on film in a movie <laughs> called Eastern Promises. It is a naked knife fight in a bathhouse. It's grisly. It's breathtaking. It, it's there's nudity. There's butt cracks. There's blood. There's everything. What was that scene like, Vigo? Uh, well, it was really fun to work up the choreography, but it was painful, which I know it would be hitting the surface after a while. The first couple of times you're okay, but then you get bruises and then you're landing on them. So we got through the first day. They were pretty efficient. The guys were really good, the stunt players that I was working with. Yeah. And, um, and we finished. I thought we were done. And then, they had, then the first day, the, one of the ADs came over and said, there's a couple pickup shots. We want some details. Like, I don't know, when you, you know, the, the end of the fight and a couple yeah. moments. We have to shoot a half day tomorrow just to get these shots. And I'm like, okay. I thought I was done. And also, I'd started the day badly. My back went out. Mm. When I woke up that morning, I couldn't even move. And so the whole day was like kind of a challenge. And uh, But we got through it. I thought, oh, good scene. We're done. Now I had to go back the next day. And the next day, it took a long time. It took, a, you know, even though they got it down to fast to put all the tattoos on, which weren't mine. It took like an hour. It used to take two hours and they got it down to an hour. But it took twice as long to cover all the bruises oh, yeah. <laughs> to put the tattoos on the morning after, unfortunately. So that's one of my memories, but it was, a, it was a good scene. I mean, it was good fun to work on. It's, it's funny. They're, they're covering the bruises, but you weren't covering the, the genitals. You're fully naked. Was yeah. that, what was, what kind of challenge did that present? And David Cronenberg, this incredible director, 
who it, it, respectfully, if, if I may say so, I, I saw some of him in your movie Falling. Like they, I'm sure he's been a great influence to you. Do you ever say to him, can't we just do it in a towel or a robe? Or did the, the magic of it, the full nudity? Well, it was written that way. I mean, when the scene starts, I am wearing a towel, right? And I remember before we started, a few days before, you know, I showed him the choreography we were working on. We showed, the stunt guy showed what we'd come up with. And he said, yeah, that's good. We'll make some adjustments for the room. And yeah, that's good what you guys have come up with. And uh, I said to David, how is this going to work? I mean, they're throwing me all over the place. It's very unlikely that the towel is going to stay on the whole time unless you glue it on or something. And uh, how's that going to work? Because you're going to have to have continuity. It falls off. Then you have to go from there. I said, this first lunge when the first guy attacks me, if I step forward, it's probably going to fall off there. Yeah. It should just fall. I mean, in other words, what I'm saying is that probably the fight's going to have to be naked the whole way. Uh, you know, not what I was imagining, but realistically, he goes, yeah, probably. And that's just what we did. I mean. But Vigo, a lot of actors would have said, hold on, I said, hell no, I'm not going to be naked for that. Did you not have any inhibitions or even insecurities about just being fully naked like that? Um, well, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the most comfortable thing at times. But once you get into it, you're just trying to figure out what works. And you're wanting to duck in time so you don't get hit. You yeah. know, basically, I was more worried about that after a certain point, you know, and. It's fantastic. I love that you go all in. I love that you're naked. You say, we got to do it this way. It's what I respect about your career in a lot of different ways. And going all in brings us to question number six. As we move here, Vigo's not missed a question yet. He's flawless. He's throwing a perfect game. And here comes a, perhaps a curveball. Question number six, Vigo Mortensen, whose movie Falling comes out February 5th, digital and on demand. Your category is public sex. Here we go. Now we got something. According to a St. Louis Dispatch study, which of the following is the most popular setting for Americans to have sex? A, an airplane, B, a place of worship, or C, a train slash bus? Airplane, place of worship, train slash bus. Which is the most popular for Americans? Place of worship. He says, place of worship. Are they doing it in the churches and the synagogues and the mosques? Are they doing it? Was he right? Vigo. I'm sorry. You're pissed, huh? You're pissed. Yeah, it was buses, right? Yes. Yes. It's buses and trains. I knew it was, but I thought it's so perverse. Maybe, yeah, you know, in the vestibule. I don't know. In the confessional, it's all kind of irony is going on. I respect that you went for the perverse answer. I'm asking you the sex question because this is sort of our sequel to our David Cronenberg chapter of this interview. I was brushing up for this interview and I've seen your movies before, but I watched A History of Violence the other day and I'm watching the scene between you and Maria Bello on the stairs. My wife hears from the other room. She's like, what the hell are you watching? She comes, I'm like, you got to sit down and see this. It is an unbelievable scene. I don't think there's ever been a sex scene shot like that. I don't think there's ever been any scene shot like If anyone who hasn't seen it, there's so many emotions and so many directions. What do you, and that's the least of which, it's also on a staircase, which is probably really difficult. What do you remember about shooting that scene? Well, I think that, first of all, I think that what happened to me, the bruises from Eastern Promises were payback <laughs> for me, for what happened to Maria Bello in that. In I that bet. She was very bruised. Uh, I remember David Cronenberg trying to lighten the mood by making really inappropriate jokes. And he was saying, he was asking if he should, because his wife, um, Carolyn, was was filming, was doing the making of, was videotaping things. Not that, I don't think. But um, he asked us, deadpan, if he and his wife should show us exactly what to do, like give us a demonstration. I remember that. And, and we were like, trying to be diplomatic. I'm like, that's weird. What do you think, Maria? He was just making inappropriate jokes a lot that day, I guess, just to make us. And we did laugh, actually. We did have fun that day, believe it or not. It's so well done because she hates you, but she wants you and you want her and you hate her. And there's, there's identity crises. Vigo, you've done love scenes before. 
you certainly that one. When you're doing those as an actor, how do you know what your limits are? Like you want it to be sexy and you want it to look good and there's so many emotions, but can you go too far in scenes like that? Well, if you're a pervert and a responsible human being, you can, sure. How so? What do you mean? Like if (laughs) if you're not respectful of your partner, you know what I mean? Um, I guess, you know, if you're a, I guess if you're a guy in that situation and it's fully, full nudity or something, I suppose if you don't have a problem that you're, if you're somewhat aroused, that's a problem. But if you're not aroused at all, that's offensive too, I suppose. I don't know. Sure. I, then they're insulted. <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, I think it's like any other scene in the sense being considerate of your partner and trying to help them and make it work. I mean, it is supposed to be make believe, you know, and yeah. you can have feelings sometimes, but yeah. When I say a pervert or someone irresponsible, there are people that, that have, and will take advantage in situations like that. I suppose an actor who's more has a more important position in that production, or is a veteran, or could be an actress might do it too. I don't know, but I, I think generally actors are are good to each other and respectful of each other's space and needs and concerns. I think I've been, in my experience, people have always been cool about that stuff and the best thing you can do is admit that you're nervous and just say, Hey, you know, this is weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. And then you're in it together. You know? mm-hmm. Years prior, you did love scenes in a movie called the perfect murder with, with Gwyneth Paltrow. Would you, did you have the same experience there? Cause I mean, you were much younger. Were you nervous then? What were those like? Yeah. You're always, I mean, you want it to seem real. You want to do it believably. Um, yeah, no, I wasn't. I mean, if I if I said to you it was, it was very unpleasant, it was a horrible thing to do. I would be lying to you, you know. But but it's still it's awkward, you know. And you're mm-hmm. in front of a bunch of people, and the illusion is that you're by yourselves, and mm-hmm. there's nobody watching. Obviously, so it's quite the opposite. And, and lights are usually brighter than the way it looks when they finish grading the movie, and it looks dark. It's brighter, and it's everybody's yeah. there. You know? Yeah, I mean, they usually they're respectful. And they have what they call a closed set, like they did in the bathhouse scene in Eastern Promise. Mm-hmm. But that's still cameraman, focus puller, director, and you know, there's there are people there. It's just not a full, full crew. I guess. Well, I guess we can agree that Maria Bello deserves some kind of trophy for what she went through in that scene with Absolutely. the stairs and everything. They weren't even carpeted stairs. I mean, no. that's brutal. And she she but, was great in that movie. She really did a great job from start to finish. Fantastic actress. Great scene. Vigo, you're five for six. We are rounding out this 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 wonderful exchange we're having. <laughs> Question number seven is a category that we have talked about already, but we're going to take it a different direction. Your category is sword fighting. What iconic movie character screams the line, are you not entertained? Uh, that's Russell Crowe and Gladiator. Um... I need to know his name. The character's name, yes. It's a very catchy name. And if you don't get it, you're going to kick yourself because I know you know this. It's it's something Maximus. Uh, Russell Crowe and Gladiator is who? The wheels are turning on Vigo. He's thinking, I think he's very close to it. You've seen the movie, of course. What do you think? I think Maximus is part of it. Maximus? Wrong. Would you like to submit that as your answer, Vigo? I don't want to short you on this one. You have a great game going. I don't want to cost you a point. I could have been six for six. I should have trusted my instincts in the last one. You know why you're having trouble with this? You're still thinking about people having sex in churches. I am, I am. <laughs> I think I will submit that. I just can't remember his name. All right. Vigo says that Russell Crowe in Gladiator played Maximus. Is he right? You're damn right he's right. You're back. You're back. You didn't think you had it. You had the, the, the sex in churches, yes. Maximus, no. Here's why I ask you. You mentioned the legendary Bob Anderson, Swordmaster, that I know was very instrumental to you and taught you and everything. 
You know, there's a quote from him that I'm sure you've heard that is really impressive, where he says that Vigo was the best swordsman I've ever trained. Have you heard that before? I did read that. I was very It's flat. incredible. I mean, you said he's trained Errol Flynn and he's working on Star Wars. So indulge me here, Vigo. Let's I talk about him again. I worked him on a second movie. It was his last movie he ever did, which was uh, Captain Alatriste, which is a Spanish epic 17th century sword and dagger fighting. And that was really, he had fun on that. Oh, that's great. So you obviously know what you're doing. And when you met him, just sort of wearing the sweatpants and cowering from the orcs, and you fi- eventually learned to be very good. Indulge me some who you got. What I mean by that is, if we were to take, not you, but Aragorn, mm-hmm. and pair him against certain well-known uh, swordsmen over the years, tell me who you think would win. For example, you mentioned Maximus. Aragorn versus Maximus, who you got? You're so respectful. How many people would have said, oh, I'd kick his ass? You're really thinking it through. I, I love that. I think that. if we were fighting in the forest or out on an open field, I don't know. It depends what the weapons are. They're both swords? Both broadswords, yes. You have, uh, you, you have the swords that is reformed from the shards, the narsal sword. You got the whole thing. And I know I've read up on you. You had a little knife in there that you used to eat with. You got all your stuff. So you got the narsal sword. Swords, if it's swords, Aragorn. I if love it. it. Swords, yes. So you slay, you slay Maximus. In comes then William Wallace from Braveheart, the Scotsman. He's got the kilt on. He's got the blue war paint. Aragorn versus William Wallace. Who you got? I think that, that Aragorn has a more uh, even temper. Mm-hmm. And William Wallace, at least as portrayed by Mel Gibson, is more of a hothead. And I, so I think that Aragorn would rope-a-dope him for a while. He'd, he'd dodge him until he got worn out enough that he'd probably be able to get a couple flesh wounds in and eventually take him down, hamstring him or something. That's a brilliant cr- I don't know that I'd kill him, though, because he's such a brave person. I think I'd, he is. Either of them. I mean, really. You know, I try to, to um, um, handicap them, debilitate them to the point where they, had, they couldn't. They couldn't stand up, but that I wouldn't kill him. <laughs> He'd have mercy. What a guy. And that is what Aragorn would do. Vigo, did you happen to see, were you a Game of Thrones guy? I did see that. Not all of it, but I saw quite a few of those. Yeah. Okay. Aragorn versus Jon Snow, who was pretty much the Aragorn of, of Game of Thrones. Yeah. I'm sorry, but he's the... He's, he's the least strong of the three you've mentioned, in my opinion, okay. as far as sword fighting. He goes quickly. Not nothing then. against the actor or it's just Oh, a no, kick. no. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. You never know on a bad... I mean, anybody can have a bad day. I could lose to any of them, but... Or Aragorn. I, I think, I think you got snow. Um, I think you got snow. And the last one, you're going to have to use your imagine on this. Imagination. King Aragorn versus Luke Skywalker. And let's say Aragorn gets to use a lightsaber just for the sake of competition. Can you beat Luke Skywalker? That's a good question. I think so. That's why they pay him the big bucks. I think think you can take Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Even though he's got the force and Darth Vader's his father and everything. But I love the confidence. I think you could too. I do. I do. I honestly do. Given the same weapons. Again, I wouldn't kill him. I wouldn't kill him. I, I, I don't know. He's a great guy, Luke Skywalker. I think Luke Skywalker is a sensible person. And I think at a certain point, if he saw that he was going to start losing arms and legs, he would just go, okay. Yeah, and he's we already could be lost friends. One. We could be friends. <laughs> You'll have a blue milk afterwards or a Finlandia vodka. We only have a couple questions left, Vigo. And I, but this has been a thrill for me. Question number eight. This is the fan favorite category. This is everybody's favorite category. It's called Finish This Lyric. What you're going to do is you're going to hear a very popular song. And I know you've done great things in music and you've, you've collaborated with Buckethead and you're in your music I, and all about your musical background, which is really cool. You're going to hear a song. It's going to stop and you just have to finish the line. And I know you've heard, everybody's heard this song. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to rope a dope you. Vigo, you're going to hear the song, finish the lyric. And again, it's somehow related to your life. Vigo Mortensen, finish this lyric. Tattoos and memories and dead skin on trial. Right. 
the best days of your life. He says best days of your life. Let's hear it. At the time of your life. I, I mean, I'd love to give it to you. I can't. I hope uh, you had the time of your life. You wouldn't yes. want it anyways, right? No. I hope you had the time of your life. It is incorrect. I'm sorry. You knew the song, right? Yeah, vaguely, yeah. It's by it's by Green Day. And what no, the hell know, does Green Day I, have I know, to do with you? I know the band. I know, yeah. I'm pissed. Should. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm more annoyed about the church thing, really. You're never getting over that. You're, no, gonna, you're gonna email me a year from never, now. Never. I may that may be my dying word someday. I may say I still think people do it in the church. You know, something <laughs> like that. We'll see. All right. Just don't go do it yourself. We don't need to see actor Vigo Mortensen arrested for doing the church in the Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Reason I asked you about Green Day, Green Day, um, you're sensational in Green Book. It's just sensational. I loved watching that movie. You you can't play Tony Lip though without the physicality, without the weight, without the gut. You've been underweight, you've been fit. How did you reach the Tony Lip stature? How did you get that gut? I ate a ton, ton of food. From What'd you do? I, What'd you eat? Well, I met the, the family, the Valalonga family, and they had a restaurant, one of the brothers, uh, one of the sons of the guy I was playing. Frank does and out in New Jersey. And I went to meet them and had this unbelievable, such a, so much food that I was just exploding. And I just had to like, I pretended I was all right. And I drove away and after hours of, I just drove around the corner and cranked the seat back and lay there for about two hours. I was just, I thought I was going to have to call an ambulance or something. It was really bad, but then I sort of got used to it and I just kept eating. And we were, sh- we were shooting in uh, New Orleans is where we were based most of the time. And there's great, restaurants and cooking there and so i just ate everything all the time and at night i thought they kept saying to me this is a terrible thing to do but if you really want to gain weight and keep it on yeah. you know usually it's if you want to lose weight and keep it off if you want to gain sure. weight and keep it on eat something really heavy and starchy and you know late at, just before you go to bed and so i would have steak a couple of steaks a couple of baked potatoes and the dessert menu before I'd go to sleep just before <laughs> yeah, that's what I would do. And, and since weekends, I would sort of slack a little neat more or less normal. Cause I got tired yeah. of it. Mondays I'd come in and they'd look at me go Mm-mm, like the costume people. I'd say, you gotta, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we get Mr. Mortensen some, uh, some creme brulee and some vanilla ice cream, please stat. And then you just have to house it. What would you say? What would you say were the greatest hits? Like the things about, man, I house so many of these things. Like these are the ones that really put out the pounds. What is it? Pasta, sauces? What was it? Really good Italian food was what yeah. I enjoyed eating the most. I never really got tired of that. Ugh. The scene I laughed out loud in is when Tony Lip is sitting there in bed and this guy literally folds a pizza in half and eats it like a taco. I'm so, I mean, it was hilarious. It's so funny. Was that an ad lib? Is that in the script? No, I was. We were about to shoot that scene, and uh, and one of his sons, Nick Vallelonga, one of the co-writers, yeah. and won an Oscar for writing that screenplay. He was there, and he was telling me this story the day before we were yeah. going to shoot that scene. He says, "You know." My dad used to do that. We'd go into a restaurant as a family and he'd order us pizza and then he'd order one for himself, a large, and then he would do that in front of the family. He would just eat the whole thing just in one go. <laughs> and I said, that's great. He really did that. He said, oh, all the time. And I said, oh, we got to do that. And I went to Pete and I said, Pete, we got to do that in that scene. And he goes, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. And then on the day we're there, I said, how many pizzas do you guys got? And I said, oh, I got a few. And I said, okay. Pete, can we just do one take? And he goes, okay, Vigo, it's the most ridiculous thing. I mean, I'm, you know, okay, we'll do one take, but then we got to really get the scene. You just take yeah. a bite. <laughs> and um, you don't even have to eat it. It's just the fact that you've ordered the pizza and then the door, someone knocks at the door. It's not important that you eat the pizza. And so I do the first take and I could hear the muffled laughter of the crew beyond the door in the hallway. <laughs> and I did the thing and I took the bite and then... There's all this laughter. And then I walked outside and I said, so? He says, all right. <laughs> so that was it. I thought that That's great. That, that was a real thing that their father used to do. I believe it. And it's a perfect segue. We only have two questions left because your question number nine, your category is pork products. 
pork products, of which I'm sure you consume many by coincidence. Vigo, your question. What is the highest selling brand of bacon in the United States? Best selling brand. Oscar Mayer. Could he possibly get this one right too? Is it Oscar Mayer? You're goddamn right it is. Vigo, you're going to have one of the best scores of all time. And I'm asking about Oscar Mayer because I'm pissed off. You may not be, but as a fan of yours, I'm pissed off you have not won an Oscar. I want you to win one. You've been nominated three times. This is not for a point, but I I wonder, can can you name the the three actors that have beaten you in in the times you've been nominated? Sure. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, Casey Affleck and uh, the Queen movie. What's his name? Um, Rami. Rami Rami Malek. Yeah. Those are heavy hitters, man. I mean, Daniel Day and There Will Be Blood, Affleck, Manchester by the Sea. You know, it's got to be frustrating to lose. And as a fan of yours, when you're watching the show, you want it to win. But I will give you this. You are really good on the broadcast of your reaction shot when you don't win. Like you, 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 you do the smile, you're casual, you're not pissed off in a, in a ways that's also its own form of acting maybe because you must be disappointed, right? That's the one I should get the Oscar for. <laughs> and the Oscar goes to Vigo Mortensen playing Vigo Mortensen at the Oscars, not winning. <laughs> that's it. Do you, first of all, and I want to say this, I think Lance Henriksen should be nominated for an Oscar for falling. He's unbelievable in it. And it's just Maybe. a tour de force. He is so good. Tell me about his performance in this because it kicks ass. I mean, it's nonstop. It was beautiful working with him. I mean, I wasn't going to originally act in the movie, but I was having trouble raising the money. And I thought, well, first of all, I've been working with him for a few years on this script and talking about it, getting to know him. So it would be a continuation of that relationship if we worked. I wouldn't just be directing, trying to make him yeah. comfortable and help him give a good performance. I'd be in the mix. I'd be in, in the fight with him as an actor on an equal level, trying to, you know, solve problems in these difficult scenes. And, um, and then, you know, working on it, I thought, well, it's going to be a lot of work. But I have to say, just watching him, I had the best seat in the house, just watching him come up with these really unexpected reactions and going in and out of mental states. And the fact that he was fearless, he was not, he just, the only thing he ever said to me is just help me. I don't want to ever get caught acting. It's got to be for real. It's going to be, I know it's going to be difficult, but I'm going to go to some places and I'm never, and he didn't. He was always, he never tried to get the audience to especially like his character in any way. He just, I'm, I'm this person. He was in a, in a way, he was really badass, which is what he had to be in this character. He had to be really uncompromisingly awful sometimes but also beneath that there was something that he also got across which was he was afraid and he had his doubts and his fears and all these things i mean he just there were so many layers to what he did i knew that he would surprise people i thought i thought he would and that he might surprise himself but i had no idea he would take it so far i agree with you i think it's a performance that will stand the test of time. And I, I would like to. He's eight years old. He's had a career that spanned 50 years yeah. and 280-something movies. I would love nothing more than to see him get recognized. I know he will be over time. People will look back and go, wow, mm-hmm. do you remember Lance Henriksen as Willis and Pauline? You know? I would like it to happen now. Yeah. I would like him to enjoy that, those accolades. But, you know, it's a crapshoot. You never know. Well, I can tell it means a lot to you, the way that you're talking about it. And, you know, listen, I, I've watched Lance Henderson my whole life. I, I've watched him for my entire life. And he's a legend in, in sci-fi in so many different ways. And I think you gave him a great gift by writing this part. And I think he paid it back to you with the performance. It's what you walk away from this movie talking about is how good he is mm-hmm. in this. And uh, I hope he gets the accolades and the Oscars and all that thing because he really deserves it. But also credit to you, Vigo, for the writing and directing, man, because it was amazing. No, thank you. It's my pleasure. We have one last question. I've had a ball today. And Vigo Mortensen, if he gets this right, we'll finish with an 8 out of 10, which is one of the best scores we've ever had and is better than McConaughey. It's a little tricky with the last one, Vigo. That it's always, the category is always an essay. It's the essay portion of the exam. 
whereby I have found uh, an opinion of yours that you have shared, a statement that you've made that maybe I'm skeptical of. You have the floor to convince me of it. And if I'm convinced of your explanation, I give you the point. If I'm not, you get nothing and you finish with a seven out of 10. Here's what your essay has to be about. Vigo, there was a point in your career, post Lord of the Rings, you're the star of the biggest movie in the world. And as I understand it, there were a lot of opportunities that would come to you. Huge money opportunities, huge exposure, rom-coms, action movies, superheroes, Clooney stuff, Hugh Jackman stuff, to which many of them you said no and went a different direction. When asked about that, your quote was, how much fucking money do you need? Which I think is a great quote. Validate that quote to me, why you feel so strongly about that. The floor is yours. I mean, if you're not in desperate straits financially, at least I'm speaking for myself, I'm always aware that if you're responsible and you do what you're supposed to do in terms of preparing the work, the role, shooting it, and then afterwards, importantly, doing what I'm doing now with you, even though we're having fun, it's much more fun than a normal interview, obviously. Thank but you. You go and promote the movie because you want to bring it to people's attention so they'll go see it so people that invest in the movie can get their money back. And if you sign up for something that you believe in, which is what I try to do, um, like I want to be in movies that I would like to go see. Uh, if you believe in it, even if it didn't turn out as well as you thought it would be, you have a responsibility to go and do that promotion. So all told, that usually is a year, two years of your life. You might as well do something that you feel good about and that you're comfortable talking about, I think. And if, and if, if you can do that and still pay the rent and you, know, you got a roof over your head and you got food in the cupboard, what else do you need? I mean, life is short. You might as well do things that you can look back and feel proud of. You know? At least they, they had a chance to be worthwhile stories. It's a beautiful answer. I think press is a very underappreciated part of what actors and directors do. And I've seen countless actors be on press tours and talking about bullshit that they don't really like, that they don't really believe in. But, you know, they bought themselves a beach house and a Bentley to take the check. And there's a different way to go about your career. Vigo, I definitely give you the point. You had an eight out of 10. You have finished the 10 questions. This was an incredible, incredible honor for me. How do you feel about your experience here? You finished the 10 questions. I feel really good. I, I'm still thinking about the church. I, I got to be honest with you, but I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm intrigued by your helmet. Is that your high school football helmet? exactly what it is. Yeah. I played for the Stevenson Patriots uh, in Lincolnshire, Illinois in the 90s. This this is the logo of the old New England Patriots. And then I got a college helmet too. But yeah, on all those little uh, footballs were for like their accolades. Like if you score a touchdown, your coach right. gives you a sticker. And then by the end of the season, you, you have a good. What football. position did you play? I played running back and I played kick returner uh, through high school and into college. So my idols were Walter Payton and Barry Sanders and all those legends like that. Yeah, fast enough. And then I tried to do the acting thing for a long time in L.A. and um, did OK, but then eventually found sports and media, and which lets me talk to people like you, which is just an honor, man. You, you kick ass. You've been so cool. Were you, even though you were in Illinois, were you a Bears yeah. fan or were you a Patriots fan because of your school? It's a great question. Huge Bears fan. And it's ironic because it's Patriots and it's also Packers colors, which are the Bears enemy. But yeah, mm -hmm. the 85 Bears Right around the time that you were ironically tossing a football on Miami Vice, it was the William Refrigerator Perry. Yeah, you remember yeah. the fridge? Yeah, yeah. And Mike Ditka. Yeah, yeah. They were tough. <laughs> yeah. I Those do are my have guys. a story that has to do with the Patriots. What do you got? During the year that O.J. Simpson broke the record, the rushing record, what was that? Was that 73 or 72? 70s for sure with Buffalo. 73, yeah. I think. I, I, I went to, uh, I lived in Watertown, New York, which is northern New York, up on, mm -hmm. you know, way up across from Canada. And uh, I went to Rich Stadium to watch the Bills play the Patriots, and they had the old helmet. And, um, and I think that, tell me if maybe you'd know this. Go on, uh, yeah. Sam Bam Cunningham, do you remember that okay. running back? Big sure. powerhouse. Okay, yeah, I saw him play. Anyway, if you were a Patriots fan, it would be important to you. But since you're not, it's probably 
insignificant. No, that's because I, I work for the NFL as well. So I eat up that stuff. Were you and you saw OJ play in his prime? I saw. Yes, I did. And I saw I also saw Sam Ben Cunningham. We were not that far. It was a few hours drive to, to Buffalo. See, you think it's it's Vigo and you know he does movies and directing and poetry and everything. And then he'll come out with stories about seeing OJ in the 70s and going to the Miracon Ice game in 1980. You got stories for days, man. I mean, it's re- and sports stories, too. It's pretty cool. I have some good games. Vigo, the only thing I need from you before you go, we finish every episode with a call out, meaning it's very sports like of you where I want you to think of someone, a public figure who you think would fit well in this show would have their competitive juices come out and could try to challenge your score of eight out of 10. Uh, feel free. Anybody you want uh, from your career you've worked with, want to work with your industry. About, you need to call one Marie, person. Up. How about, uh, well, wait a minute. Someone you've worked with. Is it someone from the fellowship? Is it, uh, I don't know. We mentioned Gwyneth. You've worked with so many people. Who do you think would come on here and, and compete? I'm just trying to think. I don't know. Sebastian Maniscalco from Green Book. There you go. People you've worked with. Sebastian. Okay. Talk to the camera for five seconds and and address him and say he should come out here. Sebastian, I challenge you to uh, try to top my score. Eight out of ten. I feel... It could have been nine out of ten. The thing with the church, really, if you guys see my episode, you'll see what I mean. I mean, I just, I knew I was wrong. And I thought it was unfair that they didn't give me the song thing. But anyway, eight out of ten is pretty hard. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, you're from Chicago. You guys have stuff to talk about. You're a very funny man. Um, I assume you know a lot about sports, but I don't know that. Um, but you're very quick on your feet. I think you'd have a good chance to go 10 for 10. So I challenge you to go at least nine for 10. Brilliant. Ladies and gentlemen, Vigo Mortensen, he directed, wrote, starred and produced Falling. Please see it. You will tell your family about it. You will tell your friends about it. It opens February 5th and digital and on demand. Vigo, this was so fun. I've admired your work for a long time. I love your new film. Thank you so much for doing the show, dude. It was really cool. Thank you. It was really a lot of fun. Appreciate it. My pleasure. We will see you next time on 10 Questions. Ten Questions with Kyle Brandt is a co-production by Spotify and The Ringer. The show is produced by Richie Bozek, Jason Gallagher, Noah Malale, Steve Allman, Jackson Safan, and Arjuna Ramgopal. Our theme song is by Matt Schiltz and Bobby Lord. Additional sound design by Bobby Lord.